In this very room, there's quite enough love for all the world. And in this very room, there's quite enough joy for all the world. And there's quite enough love and quite enough power to walk through our every fear. For spirit, one spirit is in this very room, in this very room, in this very room. I invite you to know with me, speaking on behalf of each person here in the I am in the first person. I recognize and in great gratitude honor the supreme presence, the source of all life, this love beauty. All the great teachers, avatars and masters, the spiritual helpers, the light workers, the saints and sages. We honor all of it and I know that this room, this sanctuary is filled with the smoke of spirit. It is in the twinkling of an eye when we can open ourselves to the energetic experience of the divine. And so it is the divine in this moment that I honor and recognize. And in that honoring, I am drafted into that awareness in my own energetic field and know that my life is that life. My experience is that experience. That every cell of my body is informed by that infinite divine intelligence that is permeating and in and through and as all of life. And so I step into a new relationship with that this day knowing that for you and I, that we are guided, directed, and, and informed in every good way, that there is not a spot where the infinite is not. And so in the blessings and the gratitude and appreciation and forgiveness and putting down anything and everything that restricts this dance of life that I enter into in this moment in a new and wondrous way, because this, for you and I, is the eternal moment. For this, I stand in gratitude, expectancy, and joy. For these are my choices. This is how I choose to live my life. And this is how I choose to feel in this moment. And this is mine to do. For this I give thanks, knowing that this service, this sharing, the music, and the fellowship, and the, and the vibration of the Most High that is so beautifully fully orbed as we come together in this space of love, gratitude, and appreciation, I give thanks, releasing these words for all the blessings, past, present, and yet to be revealed. And together we say, and so it is. Amen. Alrighty. So, you know, I was thinking this week about um, religion. And, you know, our, our faith tradition comes from what was defined as religious science, and it was developed by Dr. Ernest Holmes, and he's one of our heroes over there. Uh, one of his classic sayings is on the wall. But we live in a time, and it's a beautiful time, where communication is instantaneous. We know pretty much what's happening anywhere at any point in time on the planet. If it's, it's known, it's probably known around the world in, in moments. And, and what, I, what I realize in thinking about religion is everyone has a religion. Everyone has a religion. If you're an atheist, you have a religion. Your religion becomes the material world, your religion becomes the state. So, in other words, if there's something going on in the, in the world, then the state needs to take care of it or the army needs to address it or whatever it may be, but that's your religion. You worship what is in form. 
So we all put our attention and our devotion into something. Some of us go to, uh, some are able to, and, get, and I think blessed, to do some of the deeper work. Kabir Haminsky, great Sufi mystic, and I've spent time with Kabir. He's a wonderful teacher. He's the guy that, he lives in Santa Cruz, California, and he trains the, the whirling dervishes. He's got this troop of whirling dervishes that do the dance, so their spiritual practice, for the most part, is a whirling dervish, and they spin out of their, their awareness of the, the material world into the static or, the, or this bliss state as they're part of their, their practice. And so there are many religions. And so when you, come, when you confront somebody in the world, because I've looked at this, trying to reconcile this, well, then what do you believe in? You know, I've looked at many people that say to me, well, and, and people like Sam Smith, who's alive today, and, and uh, Richard, uh, I think it's Dawkins or Hawkins, uh, wrote the book about uh, there is no God. But those people are important because I think what they're expressing on the planet right now is these old ideas, these old boxes of what we put God into no longer work. Because if they worked, we wouldn't be repeating the same sins of the past in the present day. I was, you know, I was born in the early 50s, and in, in the 50s, Joe, Joe McCarthy was a, a United States senator, and so whatever, what Joe's uh, claim to fame is, is anywhere he looked and he saw somebody who didn't agree with him, they were a communist. And we had to kill the communists and get rid of the commies, because the commies are going to get you. And now we don't have communists anymore. Well, we have communists, but there's no big fear about communists. You know, it's like, well, they're communists, and it's good, and wish them well. Now it's, it's Muslims. Now it's, you know, the Muslims are the, the problem. And so it's interesting to watch that consciousness and that, that sort of entrenched bias circulate through. And so whatever you believe in, I think it's your religion. They may not say that. I don't have a religion. I don't believe in that God that you believe in. Well, you don't know what God I believe in because I probably would agree with you. I don't believe in the, the God on a cloud up there that's punishing arbitrarily and blessing arbitrarily. And I'm going to cut uh, Chris a break today or not. You know, God doesn't operate that way. It is science. That's the great thing about Ernest Holmes. He knew there was a way to align oneself with what we teach intellectually and more importantly in our physiology, emotionally. So it was getting, we start in our heads and we get it all up in our heads and then all of a sudden it's like we spin and spin and nothing changes and we realize, oh, I get it. I've got I've to own this and I've got to live from it. I can't just say I forgive somebody. I have to let that forgiveness wash through me to be transformed so that I'm not in that entrenched, small-minded position anymore. So something more new and refreshing and perhaps more vital can show up. But if you look out in the world and you see people that say, I don't believe in God, well, they believe in something, and that's their religion. And if they believe in the state or they believe in, in sports teams, I know a lot of guys, their religion is sports teams. You know, the Oilers have won five in a row. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, God's showing up, huh? Isn't that good? Yeah. But I'm just saying, I mean, we, I, but isn't it so obvious? But when we can have the perspective to realize it and, and relax it and go, oh, I get it. I see where you pour your devotion. It just takes on a, a lightness about it of, of acceptance. We don't have to agree. But part of living in a, in a, free, in a free society is that to defend everybody's right to believe what they want to believe. And some people don't like that. I mean, there are people out the world that think that what you and I believe is crazy and you have no business believing that and it's blasphemy and it's on. And let them have that too and say, thanks for sharing. I got to get to my center. <sighs> We're doing this energetic, Reiki, pranic healing, uh, transformational, transcendent. Uh, get away from me, you crazy people. 
do you love Jesus? Well, you know, those kind of questions. And, all right. Well, what do you mean by love? Because if it means I've got to go around asking people if I love Jesus so they can fit in with my paradigm, I probably don't believe in that kind of love. It is very interesting when you watch people that come out of a tradition of, and you know, Jesus came out of the Mideast. You know, right, right where we're having a, you know, Donald Trump would say we're having a problem. I've actually got a ban right now on Donald Trump coming into our place until he identifies what his true motives are before he can come in the door. But Oh, he's welcome. We'll send him a CD after this, okay? I'm sure he'll get a hold of that and be transformed. So, you can't stop the waves, but you can learn how to surf. And this comes from another one of those beautiful chapters in, in uh, John Kabat-Zinn's Wherever You Go, There You Are. The Hebrews, part of the great tradition that we have is, is sacred text. We do not interpret the Bible literally. It is all metaphor. It is all metaphysical. Every character in the Bible, every character in, in sacred scripture is you and I. And when we read it from that perspective, it takes on a different life. The, the Israelites wandered for 40 years in the wilderness. Anybody read that story besides me? 40 years. So what does that mean? Well, 40 years means a long time. That's all it means. So I don't think anybody was there checking off the years. Hey, we're at year 39. We're getting close. It just means a long time. When they use the number four in the Bible, it means grounded on a, on a solid foundation. All four corners are grounded. And people much wiser and deeper than I have written books about this. It's all there if we care to look for it. But metaphorically and metaphysically, it represents certain things. So 40 years is a long time. And what the wilderness represents, the Hebrew word for wilderness is midbar. M-I-D-B-A-R, midbar. And midbar simply is the expression where no words are, where words and language do not exist. So isn't it interesting that their journey to find their true self, their true essence, they had to go into darkness and wander and be lost. And then all of a sudden they came out and the message that they received was what? You all, you recovering uh, members of the Jewish faith that join us every Sunday. Okay, I'll tell you anyway. What, what it means is... I forgot where I was in the midbar. Where, uh, the wilderness. So the wilderness is where no language is. And so their, uh, they were, their message they came out with was they're the chosen people. They're the chosen people. And the, and the only error I think that's been made with that is they decided it was exclusively to them. We're all the chosen people. We all come from the same source. You know, Joni, Joni Mitchell wrote, we're stardust. We all come from the stars. And so it's everything, all the elements that make up our body are stardust. So we're all the chosen people. But so a group got a hold of it because their prophets said we're the chosen ones. And, you know, this has created a lot of exciting things on the planet and continues to do so. So when we, when we get a hold of a bit of information and we interpret it a piece of it incorrectly, it can create a trap for us. And so if you're not part of the tribe, you don't measure up, you don't matter, because we're the ones. All right. So, and, the, and so with the wilderness, it's not that, there's, that the God-forsaken wilderness that you've heard, it's actually that when we go into the wilderness, we do find God. So that when we go into an arena or an area without language, which is what mindfulness is, we discover something. 
It's a different language. It's a spaciousness. It's a grace. It's a beauty. It's a present moment experience. We don't have to go somewhere to have this experience. Kabir Huminsky says that, you know, when you're a spiritual seeker, it's because you've given up the, your faith, your religion of blind faith. When you, become, you go on the path of seeking, all of a sudden, what everybody's telling you, the box that we fit into over here, and all of a sudden you say, you know, I don't think that works for me anymore. I think it's this. It's not that we have to take it apart, dismantle it, destroy it. It's just like, well, that's pieces, but I think there's more to know. And so we put down our allegiance to blind faith of what someone else has told us is important. And this is when I'm talking about this dismantling of belief. I think that these critics of religion have such a purpose on the planet because it wakes us up to another possibility. I don't, I don't necessarily agree with all they say, and I don't, but I don't, I don't agree with all the people that are in the more traditional, entrenched ways of, of uh, religion as well. And because it's mine, it's yours and mine to discover our own path. Joyce Hawks, great, great uh, she's, Joyce has been with her. We met her at, uh, Laura and I met her at the Omega Institute, and we brought her here, and she did a workshop with us over a weekend, and she's amazing. She's this amazing biologist that, she's got her PhD in biology, one of the renowned um, educators and teachers of, of the biological process on the planet. And she had a mystical experience. She was, something fell off the wall. She was sweeping underneath her hearth one day and a big picture fell off and knocked her cold. And, and for a bit, she died. And she had this mystical, amazing experience that's unexplainable by mystical unexplainable, where language does not exist. And what Joyce was guided to was to start to look at some of the indigenous healing practices. And so she started working with shaman. So she combines her biology with the shaman practices. So she takes them, and Ernest Holmes says this in our textbook. He says, I foresee the day when science and religion walk hand in hand. So here's Joyce, who, who's, who's struck dead by an, this object that falls off of her hearth while she's sweeping under it. And, you know, sometimes a two-by-four has to hit us upside the head so we can go into the wilderness. So quite, quite, quite fascinating. So last week, we, there's, there's uh, John's book. So last week, we looked at the bloom of, of the present moment, simple but not easy. In fact, when we do the practices, sometimes things come up that are very uncomfortable for us. Stopping throughout each day to stop a bit and have some present moment awareness about what's going on. This is it. When we meditate, when we practice mindfulness, this is it. Nothing else, nothing happens after this. Practice, practice, practice. Whatever we're devoted to, whatever we nurture, whatever our practices we have in our lives, they build. That which we dwell upon, we become. So mindful breathing, presencing ourselves, gifting ourselves in the present moment, all that stuff. Practice does not mean rehearsal. So we do this stuff not to get good at it because we've got, a, we've got an event coming up or a competition coming up. We just do it because that's what we do. And then it's a radical act of love. When we show up presenced and clear despite what's going on in the world, we either believe that we are eternal beings See, we're not our minds. We're not our bodies. We're not our emotions. We are this deep, individualized expression of this one, energetic, as above, so below. And the more that we can connect with that, the more that we can have those experiences, the more it shows up in the world of, of, of effect. But it takes practice. It takes mindfulness. I don't know why we're tripwired for all this. We, get, we fall asleep in the dream of life. 
And life is precious and it's wonderful and it's not to discount it. But when all, when all it is is that getting the next thing done and protecting ourselves and running here and running there and, and, and blaming them and blaming them and realizing, oh my gosh, it's, you know, we got to check. What are we going to do? Ah, it's, it's just overwhelming. You know, we're running around like our hair's on fire all the time. That's not practice. That's not, that's not our true self. That's just the part of us, that, that fear-based part of ourselves that, that wants to protect itself. And so the mindfulness is so hard because that part of us that wants to protect at all cost is not assisting us. It's just doing its job. And it's a good thing. But it's, it's, not, all, it's not either or, it's both and. Sometimes it's good to be cautious and fearful. That's appropriate, but not as a way of life. You know, discernment is good. You know, you don't have to agree with everything, but I honor everybody's, I honor everybody's divinity to have their own experience with life. It's not cool with me when some people are taking people's lives. I think that is just such a violation. I don't agree with that. It's not that everything goes. Stop that. I don't stand for that. But for me to watch that behavior and then hate it, I'm participating in the same energetic as the the very energy that performed that act. And that's hard because some people deserve our hatred, don't they? And yet that's the trap we can fall into. We can watch some aberrant behavior and decide that's that whole group of people. They're all bad because they come from the same region and they all worship the same, they all have the same religion. Man, oh man. And, we've, and we have learned enough from this cycle. Dr. Holmes says we have learned enough from struggle and pain and suffering. And I agree with him. So when I find myself struggling with pain and suffering, I, I take myself in the corner and I say, self Let us celebrate right now. We have learned enough from pain and suffering and struggle. Hallelujah. And go be about my day. Put it down. So to affect the quality of the day, that is the highest of arts, said Henry David Thoreau. To affect the quality of the day. Meditation is not about shutting things out or off. It's a willingness to embrace and work with what lies at the core of all meditation practices. So what's alive in me that I can work with today? Oh, there's my hatred or fear of this group. Let's look at that. What's that? Where's that from? What am I protecting? What am I, what, what's this competition I have? To ask those questions, even when we're in the throes of it. That's awareness. That's consciousness. You know, if you have a consciousness the size of a golf ball, your experience of life is going to be the size of a golf ball. I mean, that's just the truth. So why not direct your consciousness, whatever tradition you are, to work with you energetically to expand your awareness and your consciousness? This day, this infinite divine presence, unseen and unknown to me, but I know is present and I sense it in many ways, is expanding my consciousness in every good way. And anything contrary to that is dissolved and eradicated. And all of a sudden, all the people that I resent and hold in contempt bubble up in my awareness. Well, I've asked for that. Because in order to have that experience and be that experience, that stuff's got to go. So this week, it's keeping it simple. Keeping it simple, really easy. Don't tell anybody you're meditating. Don't tell anybody. When I first started meditating, I got into transcendental meditation. And I went home like a dummy and told everybody. And then I spent the next six months defending myself, which created more stress for me. Here I thought I was going to convert all these folks I grew up with. They wanted nothing to do with it. They were hanging garlic around their necks and <laughs> holding crucifixes up. They were. Oh, the garlic, but the crucifixes they were. I just wanted a little peace of mind. I needed, I had this marathon going on. I was exhausted. 
I'm like, ah, you know, I'm, I'm 24 years old. I think I'm going to have a heart attack here pretty soon, keeping the world in, in place. You know, it's like being the playground manage, uh, monitor for life. Not doing. Not doing. A lot of stuff in this thing about not doing. And not doing is simply not doing. Uh, is not doing nothing. Meditation is stopping all outward activity and moving into effortless activity. We see it many times with artists, with dancers, athletes. You know, they talk about going into the zone. These, these beautiful athletes that we see that model some of this behavior in everyday world. We see it amongst people that have given themselves to a practice or a way of being in the world. That all of a sudden it's like there's a trust there. There's a knowing there. The knowing that nothing else needs to happen for this moment to be complete. Nothing else needs to happen for this moment. To, this moment's complete. This moment's complete. Which requires all of us to put down what we want to get done as soon as we get out of here. So if you haven't gotten my Christmas presents yet, that might be on your list. That's important, but the rest of it, you don't have to worry about it. Just kidding. We're not exchanging gifts this year, by the way. I want you to know. So. But I mean, isn't that a stressor? You know? So they bought me a gift. It was $30, and I only paid $24.79 for theirs. Oh, my gosh. I owe them $5.63. Yep. It takes courage and energy to cultivate non-doing. Non-doing, letting things be and allowing them to unfold in their own way. Doesn't mean we don't care. Doesn't mean we don't do the things that are important. But sometimes we're managing everything. I watched this beautiful um, uh, documentary about Marlon Brando. And Marlon Brando was one of the huge influences for me as a young man because I loved him and I wanted to be just like him. You know, you're, you, you have these heroes and Brando was one amazing guy. And it's a really sad story of his life. Just a horrible, he had a horrible childhood and uh, tremendous abuse and he had such rage in him which I think was one of the things that made him so interesting but he said the hardest thing for an actor to do I thought this was so significant the hardest thing for an actor to do is to do nothing to do nothing and he talked about that, about the journey because we all, you know, it's, it's, we're always busy doing and, and, and all of the tragedy that came to his, in his life and the things that... It reminded me so much of this idea that... And he, he went to therapist after therapist after therapist. And, and he had nothing good to say about that because it didn't seem to help him. But he never quite found his footing in life where he could stand in his own grace. And so much of that got laid down when he was a kid. His father was a, a very... Uh, uh, harsh disciplinarian and also an alcoholic. His mother was an alcoholic. She died when he was very young. He said that he would come home and his, his, his religion was a refrigerator. And he'd look in there and there'd be an apple pie sitting there. And he'd go, ah, there's my pal, apple pie. And that was what he, he gave him a sense of relief. But it was so poignant in, in, in his whole journey and his embarrassment. And he was such an incredible present artist just uh, but as he said the hardest thing in the world not doing something not doing as John Kabat-Zinn says is the work of a lifetime the work of a lifetime to affect the quality of the day that is the highest of arts you and I get to affect the quality of the day through awareness and consciousness and not being victimized by it but realizing you know what these things happen today and yet I'm not going to let it affect the quality of my being because I'm going to pull myself up because this is my opportunity. Do what is yours to do. 
All that is important in this one moment, Martha Graham said this, amazing dancer, all that is important in this one moment is, is movement, when she was talking to her dancers. And this one movement is vital and worth living, so do not let it slip away unnoticed and unused. It's beautiful, beautiful stuff. We're not in non-doing, we're not practicing to make things perfect or to do things perfectly. Rather, we practice and realize, we make real for ourselves is what realization is, the fact that things already are perfect. Perfectly what they are. It's snowing outside. It's quite lovely, isn't it? It's beginning to look a lot like Christmas. But they're coming, it's coming down so nice this morning. I'm looking forward to going home and getting to practice shoveling again. I always love that. But it's perfectly snowy. However else I characterize that or you characterize that, that's your choice. But all my complaining about that, and I know it's trivial, because we're all, we, we know what to do. But it's just an example of, of, we could turn that into a, we could take that personally. In fact, it's what nature does. We need the water. Then he moves to patience. Patience is a certain attitude or mental qualities that support a meditation practice. And patience cannot be imposed, legislated, or decreed. It can only be cultivated. Patience can only be cultivated. You know, I had a woman that came to me years ago that wanted me to pray for patience. I, I want to expand on my patience. And then she came back a week later and said, you've got to stop praying for this because everywhere I go, all I'm doing is standing in line. <laughs> and I said, well, at least, at least we know that it's working. <clears throat> so this awareness that, that are, and, and this, the, the cultivation of the quality that our inner motivation is strong enough to want to cease contributing to our own suffering and perhaps to the suffering of others. Am I contributing to the suffering of others or am I contributing to my own suffering? That's the question to ask. It also amounts to behaving ethically. The spiritual path requires character. Now, that's the, you know, wouldn't it be great? I go back to, you know, go back to the or, faith of origin where all I had to do was follow the Ten Commandments. Go to confession. If I did something wrong, I'd go to confession on the Saturday, get that washed off my soul, hope I can make it to the next Saturday. So I didn't have to change my behavior. I just had to make sure I lived from Saturday to Saturday to be absolved, which is insanity. So, the, you know, I, I can feel good about myself, the sense of, this false sense of well-being. Why not stop the behavior that's forcing you to go to confession every Saturday? Because all you're doing is diminishing your quality of being. It amounts to behaving ethically. John Kabat-Zinn's heard on a radio that he heard someone define ethics as obedience to the unenforceable. Obedience to the unenforceable. That's character. Nobody's watching. Nobody's around. No one will ever know. And I do this because I know it supports the best of me being on this planet. And that gets communicated. I don't care. You walk in a room, people know. They know energetically. They may not know intellectually. They may not, you know, someone was walking out the, today and, and she said, you have made such a difference in my life. And I said, well, thank you so much. I said, I don't remember any of that. I don't remember the details, but energetically I get it. That's what I remember. That's what the relationship is. I get it. And I said, thank you. Because it wasn't about, I hey, remember this and you did this. None of that came up. I just said, well, it's an energetic. Isn't it lovely to, to have that dance together and that memory? 
See, it's the inner hearing that you and I are attending to, just as it is an inner soil that is being tilled for the cultivation of mindfulness. You cannot have harmony without a commitment to ethical behavior. If you're you're going off the rails when people aren't around, there's no way you can be mindful because you've got a lot of punishing of yourself to do. So stop it. As Bob Newhart would say, stop it. Scratching the surface of impatience and you will uncover anger. Not wanting things to be the way they are and blaming someone or yourself. It is possible to hurry impatiently. Patiently. To hurry patiently. Is it? When anger arises, we can direct it. We can use the energy. Our meditation becomes an invitation to be more open, more in touch, more patient with our moments. And it doesn't mean that we don't pull up the energy when we need it. When we need to push, we push. When we need to pull, we pull. But we don't make it a way of life. We don't do it all the time. That's understanding. I can push if I have to, but maybe right now I'm, I'm not called to push. Trusting in life. The trust. Do we do letting go? No, we haven't. Letting go. And letting go is simply stop clinging to anything and everything. Giving up, coercing, resisting, or struggling in exchange for something more powerful. And, we can, and, and letting go means holding on, we hold on to things in our minds, these entrenched beliefs, these entrenched ways of being, which we've decided to do because we've had trauma, we've had heartbreak, we've had, we've had joy and celebration when we achieve this. So let's hang on to these things and work in that direction. All of those things, but perhaps there's something more interesting that wants to happen. And so how can I let go? How can I continue to have those memories but not cling to them? We hold on with our minds to narrow views, self-serving hopes and wishes. And you see that. You see that right now with the challenges and struggles that are going on. But there, there's always another challenge and struggle going on. That's how they keep us engaged. Next one is trust. Trust, our ability to observe, to be open and attentive. What can we trust in ourselves? What can we know deeply? To trust our own intuition. The guidance is always there, and it's like, oh, oh, yeah, I don't know. Should I do this? And, you know, and then is our intuition trying to tell us not to do it, or is it because I'm afraid I, I don't measure up? All of those questions, I mean, those are some deep, deep questions to work with. But to trust ourselves, and, and, and then we tr- when we trust ourselves, we can trust one another. And there's ways to do that. There's ways to do that when we establish an agreement with someone and we, and we fulfill it. And if we don't fulfill it, rather than feel like we got to hide or disappear, we can call them up and say, hey, you know what? I made this agreement with you and I didn't, wasn't able to get it done, so I'd like to renegotiate. I got really good at that with my, my construction company because there was always somebody that wasn't showing up. You know, I, was doing, I did a lot of kitchens for people and I would order doors and sometimes the doors wouldn't show up on time. So the first thing I would do, I got really good at this. As soon as I knew I would call the customer and say, you know what, I need to tell you that the doors aren't going to be here on time. We're going to have to back things up a week or two. And there was never a time when anybody yelled at me for that. But if I didn't call, I would spend three or four days not sleeping, worried about what the... I would make up a whole conversation in my head. I'd already have them screaming at me, even though I was the only one in the conversation. I thought, this is nuts. Why don't you call up and find out if they are upset? Holy cow. It was, I mean, it was like, that was like Lincoln freed the slaves the day that I got that. I know what to do to take care of myself in this situation. 
Let's be timely and apparent and honest and in integrity and talk about what's happening. So, generosity. The last quality I want to share with you today, generosity. How are you with gifts? How are you with gifts? Anybody here doing gifts this year? How are you with gifts? Gifts to yourself. How are you with self-acceptance? Doing your own process of putting down the things you hold against yourself. Self-acceptance. Bless you. Or taking some time each day with no purpose. Just to be. Just to be. Practice feeling deserving enough to accept these gifts without obligation. So somebody gives you something, are you keeping track? See if you can be in touch with a core within you which is rich beyond reckoning in all important ways. There's a core within all of us that is rich, I love that, beyond reckoning, beyond words. See if you can be in touch with that. Let that core radiate outward through you. See, then we become the gift. I mean, we really do. When we're present, get this, present, we're the gift. And what it looks like is it's, it, there's an energy that radiates out from us, our entire body and beyond, and we can experiment with the energy. How do we presence this? How do we show up and presence this groundedness and this vitality? Sharing the fullness of our being, our best selves. And when we're in integrity with ourselves, when we're grounded in the character, man, we're, we're sharing something quite lovely because you're somebody we can count on. We need you. There's enough people out there lying and ripping and running as fast as they can because thinking that acquisition, any way they can get it, is going to save them. It's a boondoggle. It's an activity for the sake of activity. Your enthusiasm, your vitality, your spirit, your trust, your openness, and above all, your presence. Share it with yourself. It starts with us. Share it with yourself. With the, and then we can share it with the world. I wrote down page 63 here. I didn't uh, share this with the other guys, so don't tell them. I ran out of time. This is from John Cabot Sins. It says, mindfulness, giving is never healthier. Uh, mindless, sorry, mindless giving is never healthy or generous. It is important to understand your motives for giving and to know when some, kind of, when some kinds of giving are not a display of generosity, but rather of fear and lack of confidence. Above all, generosity is an inward feeling, a feeling state, a willingness to share your own being with the world. More importantly is to trust and honor your instincts, but at the same time to walk the edge and take some risk as part of your experiment, to expand in our capacity to give. <clears throat> when you go to Prosperity Plus there, I talk about stretching into this practice of tithing. But tithing is not just money, it's who we are. It's giving ourselves to the world in a way, the selfless service. Mother Teresa, she's hanging over here. Amazing example of service. Service is such a powerful, powerful spiritual practice. So keep it simple, non-doing, patience, letting go, trust, and generosity. Joyce Hawks, who I mentioned earlier, beautiful biologist that had this near-death experience and it transformed her life. We need to find ways to free ourselves from restricted beliefs and from stuck places. We must find the deep inner resources that connect us with the life-giving essence within and with that which is greater than ourselves. Dr. Ernest Holmes said, there is no reason why this awakening shall not come now. There's no reason why it can't be now. None whatsoever. For we are not really waiting on God. God is waiting on us. This infinite divine intelligence, this love beauty, 
This father-mother presence, whatever you want to call it, is waiting on us, and it's an energy. All nature awaits our recognition, and even the divine spirit must await our cooperation with it. So in this season of light and celebration, it's our opportunity to become that, that gift to ourselves, to share ourselves generously with ourselves, the truth of our being, to ground ourselves, to stop ourselves at times. This beautiful, lovely, simple practices that John Kabat-Zinn talks about. It's our opportunity or not to step into that, to welcome that, to nurture that, which we dwell upon. So find something that helps you, that gives you that practice more established in your life. A phrase, a poem, a prayer, something that continu- continues to bring you back. That's the practice, practice, practice. So thank you so much for sharing this beautiful discussion around mindfulness and the simple acts of being present so we can be the gift to ourselves and one another. Blessings.